and welcome to the latest episode of Fish Bites, the Miami Herald's Miami Marlins podcast. I'm Jordan McPherson. He's Andre Fernandez. We have baseball this week, folks. Andre, baseball's here. Real baseball. The baseball that counts. Get what, real games. What, you mean this stuff in this grapefruit grapefruit league or whatever the heck they call it nowadays up in up in Palm Beach County doesn't really mean anything? No, now we're stepping out of the lab. Enough ex- enough experimenting, enough uh, evaluation. No, here we go. This is the real thing. Yeah. Real swings, r- real swings, real home runs, real strikeouts. It's it's all it's all real. You can see it now. Yep. Real win and loss records as well. Everything will start up for the Marlins on Friday. They're starting the season in San Francisco against the Giants at Oracle Park. First pitch set for 4.35 p.m., Real and, McCovey Cove uh, boats in the water that you're going to be able to see. You know, the real Fisherman's Wharf you're going to be able to see. I'm telling uh, you. I can't wait to get to Fisherman's Wharf. That's going to be – that's my favorite trip part of it last year. I'm still kicking myself that because of the uncertainty of when the season was going to start, I didn't make a reservation to do the Alcatraz trip just because I thought that this part of the season was going to get pushed back. So, once again, second year in a row where I'm not going to be able to make that part of the trip, but – Okay, that'll be something to look forward to in 2023. Yeah, you're uh, good. But, but before we get to 2023, we obviously need to focus on the Marlins of the present. <laughs> and I thought the best way to do this, let's do a five-question style, Andre. Let's, there you go. Let's, let's do a Q&A. We're always doing yeah. Q&As with people. Let's do a Q&A with ourselves here. Yeah, so we'll go around. We'll ask a few big-picture questions. Both Andre and I will answer what we feel for both for the questions. Uh, start off. Uh, we've talked about all the things that the Marlins think they are doing right and what they feel like they've made progress in. Where's the biggest question mark on this team heading into the season in your mind? Well, I'm going to put my uh, Captain Morgan foot up here and be Captain Obvious for a second and uh, say that the bullpen for sure is one. And I, and I say that even after they just made the the move they made this week in the final week of spring training, you know, to add some help, to add some high leverage help, you know, to their staff, but I, I don't know. I, I, to me, I still think overall you look at this pen and even if, even if Dylan Floro was available, let's say if he was available to start the season, still, you don't go in and you're not, you don't, you don't, you don't have a absolute proven closer that can go in there and you know, you're, you're thinking to yourself, all right, here's a, a proven shutdown guy where we know we can, count on him for sure to, to get, you know, to, to nail it down. I mean, I'm of the opinion, like, let's get to the point where we can create some save opportunities first if I'm them. Definitely. And then we go, and then they can worry about, about closers, but it is a little concerning that the best possible in-house option is going to be on the shelf at first. I mean, not too long. I mean, it doesn't seem like it's too long concern. So I think he will be back relatively soon, but you don't want to fall. You don't want it to drag a little too long and then maybe, have a situation where you start blowing saves and maybe like that it's although it is a long season this is not the type of team that can afford to 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 fall into a hole quickly early in the year too so you want that to be safe i mean cole cole solcer we know he i mean yes it was the orioles but he's another high leverage guy that you could throw in the mix will it help possibly i mean remember they both those guys him and tanner scott were pitching in a division where the bats are just lethal lineups you know up and down that division so i mean that experience i think will carry over and will help especially in you know a little more fr- pitcher friendly ballpark especially at home at lone depot park for sure 
But I still think as a whole, this is the unit where while you feel good about the starting rotation and I'm having deja vu because I heard this, because it feels like I said, we both said this last year too. Again, it's like, it's that back end of the rotation. How's it going to work? How are they going to be able to mix and match those pieces? And are they going to, are they going to be able to protect leads if they get them? And if their starters do pitch according to form and, and hold teams to, to low runs, I mean, the giants could be right away one of those teams where you could find yourself in some low scoring ball games where you need guys to shut them down late in the game. Yeah. And to piggyback off of your comments, I'm going to have a different answer on this, but to elaborate a little bit more with the bullpen with Dylan Floro likely starting on the IL, he threw a bullpen on Monday. I got to talk with him a little bit. He said he feels fine, feels better, no setback, but they're going to start him on the IL. He's going to throw a couple more bullpens and likely have to do a rehab assignment in the minor leagues to face live hairs before he gets into big league action. Without him, your top two closing options are Anthony Bender, who had a pretty good first year last year, but never really had to handle the closing situation as a rookie. And Anthony Bass, who was great in any inning except the ninth last season. So yeah. those are your main two options. And then Richard Blyer as a lefty option, depending on where the lineup is in the ninth, if there's, the opportunity where the matchup played in his favor, but, and then Cole Solcer can obviously weave in there as well. And then the rest of your group, especially after the latest moves they made where they optioned Zach Pop and Paul Campbell and a few of the other guys who I thought had a decent chance of actually cracking the roster. The rest of your group looked like uh, Steven Okert, Tanner Scott, Lewis Head, who they acquired from the Rays, uh, Cody Poteet and Daniel Cassano being your long options. And then, one of their NRI guys who they seem to like in Sean Armstrong and Grant Dayton. Yeah. Not again, like like you said at the beginning, not really any big names in that group that you have really who has solid experience and good experience closing out games and holding things down. Will they be able to do it by committee? That's their hope. Will Dylan Floro be an answer when he comes back? We'll see. He was pretty good down down the stretch last season, but there still is a lot of unprovenness from this group, especially as they start going into the season. Uh, but yeah. my answer for <laughs> biggest question mark, since you took the bullpen, I'm going to go with how he's Sanchez fares in center. That's was the last part defensively of the Marlins alignment that they never really answered because mm -hmm. they decided they are prioritizing offense, the impact bats, which I get they need that, especially after, finishing in the bottom two and runs three of the last four years. You need the offense. But when you're in a big ballpark like Lone Depot Park for 81 games of the year and you're trusting a guy who's basically been a corner outfielder his entire career ever since he signed to play center field, even if the metrics say he has a good first jump, he has good reads, this, that, and the other, trusting him in center field, I, haven't, I didn't get to see enough of him in spring to make a full judgment of whether I'm comfortable with him there. But that's going to be a part of determining how much of sacrificing your defense is worth it to maximize the offense. And is there going to be enough offense to offset the potential discrepancies or lapses that you might get defensively with an outfield where a natural right fielder is in center field. And then you have two guys who in Jorge Soler and Abseil Garcia who can handle the corners, but aren't necessarily defense guys by nature when you're having right. that as your core outfield, that to me is going to be something that's going to have to be watched and to see how, how much the 
pro offense, con defense ends up playing out for them. Well, it sounds like, I mean, you, I know you, you zoned that you honed in on Sanchez and center, but the outfield as a whole, yeah. I mean, really, I mean, that, that's a question mark, I think in, in all those, all those, the aspects you just said right now, but like, just like the infield of this team, guys are going to move around. I don't think it's going to, the onus is going to be entirely on, on, on Jesus Sanchez necessarily, but I think it is concerning when you spread it out and you, and you talk about Garcia and others and those defensive question marks, because again, that's in a ballpark like that. And the one, the, the first one you're going to go to is another example of, of one of the multiple ones on the road that are, are hard parks with you know, a lot of space to, to, for, for, for guys to get hits. You know, if you're, if you, if you don't know how to judge the ball well out there, if you don't, if just your instincts aren't there to play that type of a position. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's interesting because, yes, they needed offense, no doubt about it. But this has always been, even before this group took over the team, a team that always valued defensive success, you know, solid defensive guys. I mean, this is even going back before, you know, the Sherman-Jeter group took over. I mean, for years it was like that when, when Perry Hill was in, in the infield and you had, you the know, boneyard. the boneyard and, and, you know, Freddie coaching the outfielders. I mean, but, you know, years before that. I don't know, like, again, to not to go on too much of a tangent, but, again, I, I, I'm very curious to see how these guys handle that that role out there because, obviously, games could flip, you know, just like that, no matter how much offense you have. I mean, if you don't come back around and, you know, if, if there's a mistake out there, we've seen how that can change a game. No doubt about it. Uh, question two, what player on the roster needs to make the biggest improvement from last year? I'm going to start this one off, and I'm – Going to take the easy route here, and I'm going to go with Jesus Lazardo. <laughs> Again, he's slated to be their number five starter in the rotation, but has the upside if things – and again, this is an if here – if he's able to put everything together. He has the upside to be a middle – a mid-rotation guy who could potentially be their number five. Obviously, the numbers were not good when they got traded over at the deadline from the Oakland, Oakland Athletics for, in the Starling Marte deal. But the Marlins like what they see there. His fastball, as we saw in the spring, his fastball, he can hit 99 with it. Uh, his curveball is a big swing and miss pitch. He has a couple other pitches that he can weave in there as well. If he can command the fastball and get ahead and counts, he has the potential to basically potentially be their third best starter in there in this rotation after Sandy Alcantara and Trevor Rogers. I feel like he could potentially, he has a higher floor or he has a higher ceiling potentially than Pablo Lopez. And especially, again, being a lefty helps on that front. A lefty who throws hard helps. But, again, it's – is he going to be able to put it all together? Spring training, he's looked great, but we all know spring training is spring training. If he can figure out a way to put everything together and be that good piece at the bottom of the rotation to flip back to Sandy, that's going to be able to help help this rotation take that next step, especially once you look at it and you get a guy like Edward Cabrera to come back in after about a right. month or so, once he's healthy, if you have a rotation of Sandy, Pablo, Trevor, Edward Cabrera, and Jesus Lazardo, with Lazardo looking, even if he's fifty percent better than what he was when he came over through the from the yeah. trade, that's a pretty good starting five. That's a solid, yeah. I mean, that durability. I mean, that's always that's the that's the key, right? I mean, you you, you need as many bodies out there as you can, and that quality ones. Not just guys that are going to eat up innings. You need guys that eat up innings, not just guys that are going to 
go out there and get shelled. I mean, that was happening a lot to him last year. And I think also just from talking to him in the spring and just seeing the way he reacted a few times, it seems like just even the composure on the mound too, like, you know, besides just the pitches being effective, I think it looked, it looked like at least in that, but again, spring much different setting than the real thing. So that's where the test is going to be. Is that legit? Has he, has he learned to kind of, you know, put, you know, if he makes a mistake, put it behind them. Don't let that totally derail your, your whole start. Those are questions that will be answered pretty quickly. I mean, he's set to go in Anaheim, you know, in that second series from the looks of it. So he's going to be facing the big guns over there. So oh, that's yeah. going to be a, that's going to be a big test when he steps in against guys like Otani and others. And that one. So we'll see. We'll see. I mean, it, it can only help if, like you said, if he's even half as effective because, again, at the top, you have, I mean, Sandy's been a workhorse. Trevor, for the most part, you know, was in there last year, aside from, you know, the situation he needed to take some time away. But after that, you know, Pablo's had his injury issues over the years. You know, you, you hope it, it doesn't happen. And then, you know, Cabrera still really hasn't, you know, he has, we, we don't, we don't know yet what he fully can do out there. So, I mean, he is going to get his opportunity, but again, question mark, at least Lozardo has major league experience. Yeah. And if he can put it together, that's going to be a big plus for the rotation. And who would you say for biggest improvement needed? I mean, I'm going to go with the not, not so obvious one. I'm going to say jazz because I'm going to say jazz Chisholm because, and, and I think jazz himself would probably agree with this because okay. we, from talking to him and from seeing, you know, you guys talking to him over the spring, he's one of, he's been one of his own, I would say, you know, biggest critics in the sense of he knows he can be, he can continue to improve. He knows he can do better. And, you know, when you put aside all the flash, you know, the glasses and the hair and all of that, I, I saw a young, just from, from seeing the way, I, you know, I, I like observing just the way he talks about everything. Yeah, that he has that outgoing and all of that, but I feel like he knows, he's aware of how big this season is for him in that sense. And I think, you know, he acknowledged that. I like the fact that he didn't just put, you know, brush it off. He, he, he basically put it out there, like his own accountability. You know, I, hey, I let bad calls screw up my head when I was at the plate. I took some of my bats off or, you know, things got distorted because I, you know, I, I, I like the cockiness where he thought, where he thinks, you know, Sometimes he's not getting right calls because he, he thinks he's right. But at the same time, he acknowledges the fact that he has to know how to respond to that because it is going to happen and it is going to continue to happen, not just to him, but to many players. There are going to be bad calls as long as, you know, this game is built the way it is. But it's how you respond to that and how you stay in, within your approach, continue to put together good at-bats. And that's what Don Mattingly has said as, as well, that he wants to see that that level of focus from him. And I think he has now in the spring. So with the potential that this kid has, I mean, look at last year. I mean, even let's say all of that that was just said, and he's still a two and a half win guy, a two and a half war, you know, player and hitting 248 and hitting the 18 bombs and whatnot. So that's just scratching the surface, considering all of those things happen that he wants to correct. So imagine if he can correct most of it, Plus, you have the defensive side. So, I mean, that's why it's like it's easy to put. It's easy to, to to pick out maybe 
when you have a guy that really just stunk it up or whatever. But here's a guy who didn't stink it up all the time, but he had moments where he knows there there were some a lot of correctable moments there. So I want I, me and probably a lot of Marlins fans are hoping to see that from a guy who can be the face of this franchise going forward. And I think this is a big year for him on that front. I completely agree with you. And, and also in addition to the 18 home runs, 23 steals. Remember, he's a guy who right. he has the goal of 20, 30, practically a 2020 guy last yeah, year. He was practically 2020. He has sights set on 30-30 and possibly 40-40. He yeah. has those goals in mind. And again, like I said, he has the tools to make it happen. It's the matter of finding a way to put it all together. And for him to be able to do what he did last year, again, he still had 53 RBI, 70 runs scored. Seven, it was about a 730 OPS. If you if he slashed down the strikeouts, which was one of his big things, 145 yeah. Ks and 500 play appearances, that's gotta, right? That's gotta come down a good bit. No, like, and, he, and a lot of that was that, exactly. Yeah, if he's able to fix that and turn some of the and turn some of that around, that he's he has the making, as we've seen, of becoming a very he's of becoming an above average player, if not better than that. Right. No, and I, I think it above average is is the least. I mean, I think it, here's a here's a guy who could be, you know, can live up to the plus tools, yes. you know, definitely that he has. But again, it's it's that it's it's that maturity within the game that or, or and and I'm a, a maturity in the sense of experience, in the sense of like yes. picking that up little by little and and, and adjusting and, and and again that focus level of you know handling the moment, handling little moments as well as the big moment so definitely all right question three which of the four new guys and by the new guys i mean the main position players joey wendell jorge soler jacob stallings avisayo garcia which of those four do you think is going to have the biggest impact on this club this season well i think i'm gonna be i'm a little biased here because i wrote the article about him but i'm excited to see what joey wendell can do and i and and i've been saying that throughout the spring that i want that what he can bring just the just of the nature of the role that he's going to have, I think is is just really good for them because when you look at it, you can't really point to when you're trying to, when you're pointing out every starter, you could either point to him starting at any of the three spot any of the three outside of first base, any of the other three spots in the infield, or you could put people there and go, hey, where then where you put Wendell? No, yeah. it's because it's going to be a rotation, but that depth he. He has a quality option at third, a quality option at second, and a shortstop. With experience, with you know, playing for a winning franchise in the Tampa Bay Rays. And again, I go back to how he said that that unselfish buy-in that they had in Tampa Bay. I mean, yes, they had the talent too, they had the right fit of all the guys there. And that's something that the Marlins are still hoping to achieve. But that foundation of, you know, you may play. Some days here, you may play some days there. You may not play at all one day, but the next day you're gonna you may be the key cog to the whole puzzle. You know, that whole that whole mentality, if they if there really is that buy-in on this team, I mean he's seen it work. And I think just with everything, with Brian Anderson coming off a big, you know, a big injury last year that he's trying to come back from, durability. You have that insurance at third. Miggy has had at times, you never know durability-wise at short. He can do that too. Same thing, everything we just said about Jazz. You have a guy you could plug in at second too. So I mean, again, it's it's three important, three of the most important spots in your lineup, and then obviously the bat too, a dependable bat that I think is going to be 
another guy to add more depth to that lineup. And obviously he has to stay durable, but if he can, all these little things that he can bring is why I think I'm, I'm going with him as far as someone that I'm excited to see how much to me, he's the key that unlocks a lot of the puzzle for them in both defensively and at the plate. Yeah. And again, when with Wendell, as uh, Don Miley mentions, like, yes, third base is probably going to be the main spot for him. But as you mentioned with second and short, he's also pushing jazz a little bit in terms of giving him a little bit of competition going, look, just because you're the starting second baseman doesn't mean you're going to be there every day. If right. things start slipping, I can easily, not even could easily just put Wendell in at second base, have Anderson go to third and tell Jazz, hey, you're going to stay on the bench a little bit until we figure things out. It right. gives you that little, that little kick in the butt that you might, that he might need at times. Yeah. No, there's a lot of, there's a lot of little layers for of his arrival that I think on and off the field are very beneficial having someone like that. Yeah. And for me, I feel like I can go one of two ways here. I'm, could go with Jorge Soler as not only the guy who has two World Series rings, so knows who has been part of the, the completed path to getting to the World Series, which is their ultimate goal, the potential leadoff guy, and that probably the biggest of the impact backs of the group. But I'm going to go with Jacob Stallings. I'm going to go the reverse course on this, mostly because as much as we talk about the offense, you still need – that starting pitching to continue its trajectory that it's been going on since this rebuild mm-hmm. began and to have a gold glove catcher behind the plate for the bulk of the games, a guy who knows what it takes to work with the pitching staff to the help with developing young pitchers. I feel like that's going to pay as much dividends or hoping it'll pay as much dividends as the offense, because if you can have, if Samuel Contra was doing as well as he was with, the group of catchers they had before. And again, that's just more of a comparison of it. I'm I'm excited to see what the next level will be with a gold glove caliber guy behind behind home plate to see hey, what uh, that yeah. crew can do. Yeah. I, I, I'll back you up on this one because I, you know, to me, I mean, yeah, I know Soler, but yeah, because you, you just had a major shift in direction over the last, you know, X amount of months where you thought Jorge Alfaro was your 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 franchise catcher yep. of the future, and it didn't work out. And now you've shifted, and you know at least for the moment, here's your veteran guy that you're relying on to either be that well to be that guy for the moment for you know, for however long, but at or if not at the very least, be the bridge to until others come along down the road. He's in a very important spot managing that staff. I mean, he's a bet, you know, you hope for some more offensive production too, although catchers tend, you know, unless you're Yachty or <laughs> very few catchers in the league are offensive or, or JT Real Muto are, are very, you know, you don't rely on them for offense, but Correct. for the important parts of managing a staff and defensively, the arm and the play, all those things, he's in one of the most important spots for this team overall. So, yeah, no, I'm totally, I'm with you on that. In fact, if I, I know I went with Wendell, but if I had gone with someone else, that would have been – that's definitely one of those. So, yeah, no doubt to me that's the right guy to talk to, to, to mention there. Yep. Uh, question four. Where do you think the Marlins are going to finish in the NL East? Oh, juicy. <laughs> which, again, lineups are all pretty good in the NL East. Uh, where are you thinking? 
I mean, it, it, it really, yeah, the, the lineup, how much better is this team going to be lineup-wise? Because in theory, it should be, but how much compared to others around, around the division? Also, are the arms going to hold up? And I mean the starting arms. I mean, we picked on the bullpen and, and, and you know, a bunch of guys that we don't know how it's going to fit together, but the starters need to hold up and be who they expect them to be. So with all those little factors, I mean, they're definitely not going to be in the cellar. I, I can tell you that. Correct. I, yeah. I'd say, I'd say conservatively fourth or third or fourth is what I'm thinking. I mean, I think if the, the Nats are still – the Nats are down. The yeah. Phillies, I can't figure out the Phillies. I mean, yeah, I know Castellanos and all of that, but they could finish better than them. And then if the Mets' arms break, who knows? Because that's the thing with the Mets. Talented arms, but can they hold up? I mean, the ceiling, the very optimistic ceiling is second. But I think they're a little closer to around third. No, well, not a little closer, like a lot closer to, to around third. But if I was going to go conservative, maybe some people would say pessimistic. I'd say fourth. But I don't know. Maybe it all depends. If, if things break their way and they have positive strides, I think they can finish third. But if it doesn't go their way and a lot of things you know, end up hurting them, then it's a definite fourth for me. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned arms staying intact and all that. Jacob DeGrom's already down for two months with the Mets. Yeah. Exactly. Max Scherzer, they're waiting to see. He's supposed to throw a bullpen on Tuesday to determine whether or not he can go opening day. So yep. that one-two punch for the Mets, right? He's already be down there. But yep. for the division overall, Atlanta's my number one. Washington's Same. my number five. Same. And then everything else is a how much do do things teeter in whichever team's favor. I mean, Again, there, as you there, said, yeah. yeah. As you there's said, there's always a surprise. There's always a surprise. I think they're going to finish if all things created, all things equal on paper. I think the Marlins will finish ahead of Philly. But again, that's nothing ever happens in a vacuum. So if, but if everything was to remain constant, health was more or less, more or less minimal with injuries, I think the Marlins could finish third. Again, I could see them finishing fourth. I could see the Mets being the Mets finding a way to match like they do every year, and the Marlins somehow sneak their way into second, but it not necessarily right. meaning they're that much closer to Atlanta. Right. If it could be. A, up, it could be if, if, if the, my second in that imaginary universe is a distant second to yes, Atlanta. Yes, exactly. No matter what, I still think this team is still, which is means still a decent right. ways away from toppling the Braves for the top of the East. Yeah. They're Although, them getting yeah. to second in my mind would be more so them having a few a few breaks go their way, a few breaks going against the Mets. That's sort of how it would shake out there. But that's why I feel like I feel comfortable saying third third place in the East here. In that in that uh, in that very chipper universe or for the for the Marlins, uh, do they land one of the three wild cards? That's the interesting part of it. Because that's still you wonder how the national the rest of the league, Central and West, are gonna are gonna pan out and how many teams will will especially with the extra spot. If it was yeah. still the two wild cards, I'd say maybe no. But with three, it could be right on that fringe if things go if things break really well. But again, that would have to, a lot of things both would have to go their way and not the way of the others. And that's why I'm thinking 
in that three to four because, yeah, two would have to be what we talked about. Mets just fall apart, and they're better than the Phillies. But I keep thinking there may be a surprise in that division. And to me, it's either it's either them or the Phillies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to move to our last question, which will be a more big-picture question, by season's end, by the end of year five of this rebuild, where will the Miami Marlins be as a franchise? And by that, I mean, I'm not saying, oh, are they going to be in the playoffs? Are they going to be contending? For, are they going to be playing for the, playing in the playoffs, going for a World Series? I mean, big picture, the state of the franchise. Is there going to – by season's end, by the end of the regular season, is there going to be enough done where there's still optimism for what they're building? Is there going to be something where we could say they really did make a big enough jump or – are we going to be left scratching our heads going, is anything actually going, is this ever going to get off the ground? And the reason I'm asking this question is uh, on Wednesday, the Herald, we have our season preview package going and Andre and I did a look at some of the successful rebuilds over the last few years. And looking at it, five of the last seven world series champions in some way, shape or form were created by what you can describe in one way or another as a rebuild and all five of those teams either won the world series or began looking like a perennial contender by year five, which is right. why we get it to this point. Andre, I love your thoughts. You did a lot of the heavy lifting on this as you were doing a lot of the research. And then I did the, you did the research more on the other teams that had the successful rebuilds. And then I did the look at where the Marlins stand as they go into year five. Yeah, and, and I'll let whoever, you know, is listening to this and sees it on Wednesday, you know, reads it, and thank you in advance. But uh, uh, year five was the key year, I mean, for a lot of teams. We, we, looked at the, we looked at the 2015 Royals, we looked at the Cubs, we looked at the Astros after that, and we looked at the Nationals. So and then the Braves very, as well. And the Braves, and, and varying degrees as far as some teams that were either very low payroll teams like the Royals some a little more, some a little more, and some like high payroll teams like the Cubs. But still, the bottom line was how they built it up. Took a few years, but by year five came that breakthrough. Whether it was twenty more wins, twenty-five more wins, you name it, it was that push through into the wild card. Whatever, even if it wasn't a champ, nobody got the championship in year five, if I remember correctly. But everybody got. Everybody got at least to the playoffs and made a made a decent little push. And then from there it was sustained success. And there were commonalities. They were nailing your draft picks right, especially your first rounders. Nailing, you know, getting guys on the international market, uh, making the right trades at the last minute. A lot of teams, as we dug in and people will see, or if you are baseball junkies that remember, a lot of teams obviously made a lot of right moves that year where they finally catapulted and took that extra step, a lot of good deadline deals and whatnot, free agency signing. So an interesting trend was the fact that, and again, this may sound like common sense, but it just further shows you. A lot's been talked about, including by a certain columnist that works with both of us, about how promises were sort of made by the owner of the Marlins, we will spend money, and yet the payroll is has increased, but not dramatically. All these teams started low and then built up as they got better. And once they hit that breakthrough, 
not only poured it on, but kept it going and really invested to the point where they were in the top 10 to 15 payrolls in baseball. Even if you were, even if you were that lowly, you know, quote unquote, cheap Royals team at the time before it came up. In fact, the Royals, when they broke it up, fell back to what they were and look what's happened since. Yep. They're that one example. So are the Marlins going to do that? Are they going to keep adding on and adding on smartly? Of course, is that's always the key is not, not blow your money away and spend, but spend wisely. But still the trend shows you do have to spend in order to have success. You don't have to go all the way to the top and be the gajillionaire teams, but you do have to invest something. You can't be at the bottom, at the bottom ring, at the bottom tier. And that that's what our research showed. And I'm, I'm curious to see. I know we went way off the, the original question, which no, was, I where are they going to be? Sw- I sort of was using that question more rhetorically so we could describe this and give more of the yeah. overall breakdown. And that, I enjoyed this part of it because it gives us the chance to set the framework for, as we have said, I think every time we've recorded this podcast since Spring Strange started, the importance of what this year is going to mean. Not just yeah. in the moment, but for the long term. Yeah, and I, I, honestly, if you ask me right now, I think there's going to be some improvement on this team. But there's still a lot of – to me, there's still a lot of question marks. There's still a lot of what-ifs. There's still a lot of things that make me – that don't make me, like, firmly think that's going to be a massive jump this year. So I think uh, – to answer it, I think by October – I mean, do you say you're happy if it doesn't fall apart? Or, is, or to me, that's not enough. I think I think it's at a point where you have to see some kind of a jump. And I don't know if I'm going to see that. I really don't. I really wonder if we're going to be here in October and this is a 75-win team that lost a lot of close games and you kind of wonder where – you kind of wonder where, where do we – not where do we go from here, but oh, another year and another – yeah. Lots of hope. Yeah, it, it's going to change from where do we go from here? It's going to change to how much longer are we going to keep doing this? Right. And a team we didn't study because they did not win a World Series or have not yet anyway. But now come to think of it, the White Sox yes. are possibly an example to it. We didn't, we didn't, spoiler alert, we didn't throw them in the mix because we only went with teams that won World Series in recent years. But the White Sox broke through the playoffs last year. So they could be, if we had done this, if we do this again two, three years from now, it could be a team we'd throw in there potentially. You never know. But that was one that a lot of people were like, when is it finally going to happen? Because I, I think they went past year five in terms of when is it finally going to happen? And then finally last year was like the year that you finally saw them break through. So, but again, most of the time, I think by now you have to see something. And even if it's not a playoff team, but I think you have to come away feeling where this team maybe i mean i don't know is it finishing 500 or maybe a little better than 500 where you see a noticeable improvement and you and not just in wins and losses but even just from watching the team players make big strides pieces fit well you feel you start to feel like maybe you are a couple of pieces away here or there where it's not you don't seem like you're so the gap is so wide anymore like if you can honestly sit there and say that at the end of this season then it's a, it's a success. But if you're still 70-ish wins and a lot of question marks and, and, and it just looks like they're just so far away from the rest, then at that point, it's like you said, you start to wonder when. You know, you hit on the last point, what I was going to try to touch on also is if, again, 
this team hasn't had a winning record in a 162 game season since 2009. Yeah. Again, that 2020 year where they made the playoffs in the shortened COVID season in the 60 game sprint. That's one thing. Sure. Rest on your laurels with that. You made the playoffs. You made, you won a series that still doesn't translate. I still, when we talked about this, even back then, what would have happened if they had to continue playing past game 60? Would they have been able to? Would if they look the playoffs it, if that? If you look at it, it was starting to slip right before the playoffs. So. Yeah. So are, is this going to be a team that once you get into the dog days of August and September, is this team still going to have something to fight for? Right. That's what I want to be able to see. By the time we get past the trade deadline, by the time we get to the trade deadline, are they going to be at a point where they could potentially make a, make a move that improves the roster and right. look right. and they get to the point where they're not just where they're looking like they could be buyers, even if it's even if they're not going to be fully entrenched to make the deep run. Are they going to be able to get to the point where in August they are looking for that chance to not just not just playing guys for the sake of playing guys and seeing what you have. Are you going to be playing the meaningful games, even if you don't make the playoffs? And then if you are in those meaningful games at that point, whether you make, make it to the playoffs or not, what are you going to do? Are you going to set yourself up so that in the off season, you can continue the upward trend with, as you talked about with the payroll and the getting the bigger name players, are they going to continue that trend up in salary or are they just going to say, we feel comfortable with this group and just plateau? What are they going to do? What are the next steps going to be after this? Because this is the first offseason where they actually were able to and actually showed that they were going to make moves. Were they the splashiest right. moves? Were they the biggest biggest names? No, but were they enough to make this team look like a more competitive team? Yes. To me, that right. is that was the needed first step that had to happen this year. And the important thing is how do they build on it throughout the season, after the season, and heading into – and again, getting ahead of myself – heading into the next season, regardless of what the results show this year. Yeah, and I think that's where payroll spending will kind of take care of itself because all the, with all these teams, it was just naturally then you got to keep guys or then you want to extend certain guys that are core guys to your mix or you want to go out and add complementary pieces, et cetera, and so on and so on. And that's where we should end it on this note because we may be running a little long. We want to get a minor league conversation before we wrap it up. But that's where for anyone that has their reservations about all this, that's where we're going to find out if they can truly spend. So that's when that question will finally be answered is as far as sustainability. That was fun. On that note. On that note, we'll take a quick break and we'll transition for the second half from the big leagues to the minor leagues, who actually will start before the big leagues. And on that note, we will be right back. All right, we're back, everyone. And while the big league team is starting on Friday, minor league baseball is going to be starting a few days earlier than that. The AAA team for the AAA team start on Tuesday. So the Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp will be in action before the Miami Marlins themselves. And Scampy. The rest, Scampy is back. And then the rest of the Marlins minor league affiliates, Double A Pensacola, Class A Advanced Beloit, who are now the Sky Carp, and Class A Jupiter Hammerheads are all starting on April 8th, Friday, as well, in addition to the Marlins. 
How, how did I go the entire spring without realizing or missing the sky carp? How did you miss sky carp? I, 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 you said that right now, and, and, I, and I had the Scooby-Doo reaction. I'm like, yeah. really? Yep, the snappers. Last year was the last year of snappers. They decided to rebrand, and they went with sky carp, singular. I, I, no I must have forgotten. Yeah. yeah, I think I, I think I totally like right because that maybe the far being the farthest franchise I forgot yeah. the farthest affiliate I mean yeah so, so. Uh, we're not going to go super in depth here but next starting next week we will go back to second half of the show being our minor league recap we'll doing the weekly roundups I'm going to be doing the weekly report on Mondays again online and as much as we're talking about the big leagues and the importance there there still are a lot of pieces in the minors and a few who are knocking on the door. Again, you yeah. look in the AAA club, you've got Max Meyer, who it feels like he could be basically any day once they feel like he's ready. And he feels like he already feels like he's ready. Can He can step up. You've got J.J. Bleday and Peyton Burdick in the outfield. Burdick obviously finished last year in AAA. J.J. Bleday had the strong start or the strong close this season in the Arizona Fall League. And both of them, and again, this goes back to one of our a couple of our questions from before. Both Burdick and Burdick and Bleday can play center field. And all and then with Burdick and Meyer, those are two of your past three first round draft picks. So the importance of hitting on them as yeah. the rebuild goes on. Yeah. So so again, just full circling all this, those are the three guys in AAA. And then one other guy who I'm gonna be keeping very close eyes on, Yuri Perez, who looks like yes. at 18, he doesn't turn 19 until April 15th. It looks like he's gonna be starting in double A which is absolutely huge for him. I mean, that, that's a quick riser. I mean, that, that's the whole thing. I mean, my biggest gripe was always, where are the quick risers? Where are those guys that are going to be in the majors by 20, by 21? All, again, to play it back to the whole conversation before, all the teams that pulled it off, all the teams that have won in recent years, they all hit on those types of players, whether it was international players or here stateside in the draft. I mean, God, I mean, and it goes back far. Freddie Freeman debuted at age 20. I mean, you know, look at Albies, look at Acuna. I mean, it, go, it goes on and on. I mean, other, you know, that those are the guys like, you, I'm not saying, not to put the onus on Yuri Perez, but quick riser like that those are those are the the types of guys you want to see you know make an impact because they've had solid prospects in this franchise but like where 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 are those big impact players you know what i mean like again like you you talk about nailing draft picks i mean look what the nationals did once upon a time with strasburg rendon harper i mean that was three straight years where you're just getting stud after stud you're nailing those first rounders. And I mean, go through the first rounders in recent years. You know, some are still, some of the jury is still out. I mean, Trevor Rogers is one of them. He's been a good surprise. Now he's a starting piece. But some have not. Some have, uh, poof, not even, not even, uh, not even with them anymore. So. Yeah, you want to no. see you want to see these guys pan out, and uh, yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited to see. I'm excited to see Yuri for sure, and I want to see. I mean, JJ Bleday, one of the biggest, one of the biggest, uh, interesting angles right there to see how to see how he pans out. 
And then when you look at the lower levels, guys, two guys who I'm looking at specifically, Khalil Watson, the most recent first-round pick, who, again, yeah. Marlon's getting him at 16 last year. Didn't do too much in the floor complex league. Hamstring injury cut his already shortened first season short. But I'm interested to see what he does. I'm interested to see what Jose Salas does. Again, looking at a lot of these middle viewers, I know you're – Got into the game own. the other day. He did. Both of them did. Yeah, both yeah. Khalil and Jose Salas. Salas played yeah. shortstop. Khalil played second. Christian Rodriguez played third base. That's looking sort of like what I feel like the infield is going to be in Jupiter. Salas may very well start in Beloit after playing most of the year in Jupiter last year. But those three guys, uh, but Salas and Khalil Watson specifically, are two guys who I've been – I mean, we've both been high on Jose Salas since last year. We both have really liked seeing his strides. We knew his defense – he hit, I think he hit 305 last year combined between the Complex League and Jupiter. I feel, like, again, that was a really good start for him to see what his next level is going to be is something that I'm in, I'm intrigued by. And then big picture outside of that, I need to see what the catchers are going to do. Because, again, you have Stallings, you have Peyton Henry in the big leagues, and then you have the guys who are on the 40-man who are going to be AAA, Nick Fortes and Alex Jackson. But their prospects, they our prospect catchers need to pan out. I mean, I have no idea what's going to happen. What's happening with Will Banfield at this point. I'm interested to see what Joe Mack does in his first full year, but that's been the one position where that position, figuring out what they're going to do third base prospect wise. Those are their two biggest question marks when it comes to depth. Yeah. My, my, the other thing that I the take away that, that I came away from doing this project with you too, is when you look at past drafts and, and it's just by nature, like how, how everyone gets all excited about every single prospect in this in this system. Mm -hmm. And the truth is, like, the odds are, and this goes for every franchise, Yeah, only a handful of guys are even going to make it to the majors. So to anoint a lot of them, like, with this, like, big hysteria, like, it's nice to hope and all of that, but, like, I want to see who can truly take that next step. You know what I mean? Because a lot of these guys you're mentioning right now may never even – It's true. If – even get there and if they do they could be like in and out quick to really make an impact to really be impactful guys it's so hard it's such a crapshoot in the entire drafting process so that's why it's important to hit on not only to, you can find hidden gems it's not a, obviously that happens but those big picks for the most part have to be have to be your future impact guys so a guy like Blade, where there's so much was put on him and so much expected of him you know, this is a big year to see if he can figure things out, if his swing is better, if everything is more consistent, and can he take that next step and add it. I mean, a lot. some of the guys you mentioned, like Khalil Watson, I'm excited about. Those guys still have a long way to go, though. I mean, they're still, you know, we're thinking maybe two years from now, you know, if things progress, you know, quickly. But, I mean, Salas, too. Salas is still a ways away, too. So it's like, who are – who are those guys that are going to come up and help the franchise in the next couple of years that maybe could be the pieces that take it to the next level? We'll see. I mean, those are those are the names right there that I think it's going to be. These, these are big years to kind of where now they're really starting to face the real competition at that minor league level, and they're really going to start that next important phase of development. Definitely on that note, and I think we've already run – a lot longer than we usually do on these. So I think we're going to have to wrap this one up. Uh, everyone, thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of Fish Bites. 
next time we well, talk, we'll be able to actually talk actual baseball and recap actual baseball games. And, and I think we're going to have plenty of time to mix in Jacksonville, Pensacola stuff throughout the season. Oh, no doubt. I'm saying that, and there's someone out there that's probably thinking, what is he, what is he trying to say by that, that they're going to be out of it quick and it's going to be all minor league talk again? I hope not. And that was what I was saying before. I hope we're not late April and you and I are having that conversation every morning about what you're going to write about the Marlins and, and oh, you know, got to look for something, got to sell hope again. Let's hope it, let's hope it, let's hope it doesn't let's get hope. to that. And on that note, we'll be back again next week. Thanks so much, everyone. 